0: Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwald.
1: And I'm Eliana Johnson. Heck
0: yeah, you are. Welcome to Inkstained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right with the American news media. Eliana Johnson, we're recording on the wrong day of the week. We're recording in hurried fashion. You've obviously just come from the gym. Uh,
1: I wish. I <laughs> wish that was the case.
0: We're recording in hurried fashion because of a peripatetic week for me. And I'm very grateful to you for accommodating. But we were away, as it were, last week because we had the great episode with Andrew Sullivan. Thanks for all the great response that we got some folks. But we couldn't go another week without retching. So we're back. So we're back.
1: And that because we are re- recording now, it means that we are in the midst of Hunter Biden's plea deal, plea deal potentially being upended. It's so churning that cauldron is, of that news. is Yes, atop our front page... <laughs> And I am sure that our listeners will be shocked to learn that Hunter Biden and his legal team may not be on the up and up. So the judge has some concerns about the plea deal and the judge expressed concern that how can you reach a plea deal when the Justice Department claims to still to have an ongoing investigation. Yeah, but it was a
0: plea deal in which a person was indemnified against all future like a presidential part like a blanket presidential pardon that they would be protected from all future prosecution and then we have the allegations of misconduct against Hunter Biden's legal team
1: who impersonated a, an aide to a Republican a or lawmaker or was just a misunderstanding in order to in order to do what? I'm not clear on an that.
0: amicus brief that had been filed from House Republicans seeking to seeking some action in the case. And, you know, this you've heard me say it many times before. I will say it again. Hunter Biden, obvious Joe Biden, obviously cannot bring himself to be harsh with his son. And I understand as a dad and especially for Joe Biden, as somebody who lost children and his son with addiction and all of that stuff. But that Hunter Biden has screwed everything up at every turn and in every way, both in addiction and now in recovery. It's like there's just no end to it when very obviously what this person should do for his father And if he believes the things that he says for his country is do it right, do it quiet, throw himself on the mercy of the court and try to make like a hole in the water.
1: So we will return to this. But my thought when seeing this was that all of the news coverage around the plea deal, when Republicans said this is a sweetheart deal, this is is not right, was um, we had a torrent of media coverage saying this is totally normal. This is all on the up and up. And now we have the judge weighing in and raising questions. And about a lot it. of
0: a lot of part to whole fallacy on this in the coverage, because it was like, well, not is this an extraordinary plea or is this not an extraordinary plea? And in many ways, it's an ordinary plea. But as the one of the defense lawyers said today, when the judge said that what the lawyer was talking about was unprecedented, that the plea would bind the judge in accepting it, that he admitted that it was unprecedented. And I think. This was a this was definitely a a partisan sinkhole of coverage in a lot of ways.
1: So we will hopefully be back to that next week. But in the meantime, we had.
0: How's the rest of Joe Biden's campaign doing?
1: We had (laughs) a report from NBC News that was a partial repeat in that. I think we had already learned about these shorter stairs Biden was using. But the headline is note cards and shorter stairs, colon, how Biden's campaign is addressing his age aides appear to be making concessions to Biden's age, hoping to avoid viral moments that would reinforce voters worries about his fitness. And the report centers on the president's use of a smaller 14 step staircase to get onto Air Force One rather than the larger, grander 26 step staircase (laughs) that has bigger stairs. And this, of course, means 12 fewer steps for him to fall on. In my mind, like, I'm glad to see the press covering this. And at the same time, it tells us just what we can see with our own eyes, that the guy is very old.
0: And when you compare this to coverage that we've seen in recent weeks, that was like how Hollywood wants to turn Joe Biden into an 80-year-old leading man. He's the Harrison Ford. He's turning the his age to his advantage. And I think what you saw there was spin from the White, Ho- White House slash campaign slash DNC insofar as those are different things. You saw that spin, a little credulity with the spin. And then when you see stuff like this, then it's the admission, oh, that was spin. That was, it doesn't matter how long he can ride on a train.
1: No kidding. And the other thing that was amusing is that, yeah, guys, we've seen pictures of the note cards that have the names of his aides written on them. So it's not exactly breaking news.
0: But what, a, but wait, there's more. There's more. In Biden campaign coverage, the dog commander, a bad name for a football team and apparently also just a bad dog. What do we know about commander the biting dog?
1: We had to go to the New York Post to learn that (laughs) Biden's dog and I love that it's billed exclusive. Biden's dog commander (laughs) sent Secret Service officer to hospital, comma, bit six others after replacing first pooch major. I mean, I do wish the Beacon had had the exclusive on this. This, uh, been, that this is a good story. That been President Biden's stuff. nearly two-year-old German Shepherd commander bit seven people in a four-month span after Tag former on. first dog major was ousted from the White House over similar aggressive behavior, according to internal Secret Service records it, uh, reviewed by the New York Post. On the other hand, okay, maybe these Secret Service officers of are not that good and deserved it. They couldn't even find the cocaine and the dog was pissed.
0: Well, I want to I want to give the New York Post its due for their headline "Commander and Chomp." Uh, that's good. There is an easily startled, confused creature in the White House, prone to fits of anger. There is also a German Shepherd. Is the subhead for the New York Post? So that's that's some quality New York posting right there.
1: What do we have next?
0: Well, who is CNN's newest political contributor?
1: We have a tweet from CNNPR. I mean, you can't make it up. Join us in welcoming Kate Bedingfield to CNN as a political commentator. And Kate Bedingfield is the former White House communications director for the Biden White House. So yeah. if you're not getting enough of Karine Jean-Pierre watching the White House press briefings uh, or Jen Saki on MSNBC, you can tune into CNN. If they if there weren't enough White House talking points on CNN, if you weren't satisfied by the amount, this woman's for you.
0: Yeah, she I think is better than Karine Jean Pierre in as as a presenter, but and this is the question. She's way better. So this, but this is better. This is like the Kaylee McEnany question, which is what are they bringing you, right? Because they're contributors and they're going to tell you, just as you say, they're going to tell you what the party line is. They're going to tell you what they're supposed to say. I guess with Kaylee McEnany, after a while, she and Trump parted ways. But for a long time, you're just going to get the it's a I get easier to book in-house person, but you're not going to get anything new. So these are sort of to me dubious hires because they're not adding real analysis.
1: Just boring.
0: Yeah, I think that's a shorter way to say that. Have you heard that Ron DeSantis's campaign is over? It's all over for Ron DeSantis. Meatball no more. Meatball no mas. And the, I will say this, we talked here before about there, how there was no way that DeSantis could fulfill expectations because they were way too high. And huge, they were too high for himself, but the press expectations with DeSantis, and I'm not going to name any names with people who, even people who I respect and admire in my business, were this spring saying, look, it's a two-person race, it's Trump and DeSantis, that's the way it is, da-da-da-da-da. Well. Ron DeSantis had another round of cuts uh, this week. But here's, here's the, deep, the deep dive from CNN. Even as the campaign signals financial duress, elsewhere DeSantis continues to spend liberally on expensive accommodations. Campaign finance records show the campaign spent $87,000 to rent the Stein Erickson Lodge in Park City, Utah, which describes itself as a five-star hotel and spa. The campaign hosted about 70 donors and fundraisers there, Over the weekend, DeSantis also relied heavily on costly private planes to travel the country. Campaign finance reports show a preference that seems to have continued Then it lists a bunch of trips that he took. One leg of the journey lasted 32 minutes record show, covering a distance of about 100 miles. Another flight was in the air for 40 minutes. Now look, why do you think the Ron DeSantis campaign spent $87,000 on the Stein Erickson Lodge in Park City, Utah? Do you think Ron and Casey went to get a getaway? Do you think they were hanging out taking mineral baths? I don't think so. I think that they were hosting donors to raise a million dollars and that the donors who give you big money want to go to Park City, Utah, and they want to stay someplace nice. You're not going to say we're really cutting down and we're going to meet you at the Motel 6, bring your own quarters for the vibrating bed. I don't think that's how that
1: goes. I have a few thoughts on all of the DeSantis coverage. The first is just on the merits of it. Like, as with all of these things, the problem is not the campaign manager or that they're spending too much on travel or that there are too many people on the campaign as opposed to the super PAC. The problems are always with the candidate. Right. And what is his message? And Who's he listening to and who is he not listening to? The problems right. are always about the candidate. That's right. Number two, I do think all of this coverage, and it is everywhere, it's all basically the same. You read it once, you read it everywhere. Right. And it does show the totally the way that the press like works in a pack and there's this hive mentality. And the third thing that occurred to me was these sorts of like shakeups in campaigns where you lay off a bunch of people and things go poorly and- you make changes are like so normal and yet they're treated with this high drama. And I didn't really read in any of these stories the like, yes, but line of, you know, at the same time, John McCain in 2008 laid off, you know, 80 percent of his staff and had only two people left working in New Hampshire. And it's there's there's a chance, you know. There's really context lacking in these like these things are very normal and that the people who were laid off on his campaign may very well be working for his campaign in six months. Maybe it is the end. But like there's a lot we don't know. And there's so much normalcy in in campaigns starting poorly and correcting themselves.
0: That is true. And but the, the those who the gods would destroy, they would first make king. So the press, the pack worked in DeSantis to anoint DeSantis. And now is tearing him apart. But he is getting a big assist these days from that same press back. And you know what it's about? The fact that he apparently, I am told, loves slavery. Is pro-slavery. He loves slavery. Ron DeSantis apparently is a huge fan of slavery. That's what I've heard. I'm not gonna read any further, but that's what it would seem to indicate. Here is the headline from Politico, New Florida teaching standards say African Americans received some, quote, personal benefit from slavery. Florida education officials approved new standards for teaching African-American history Wednesday in response to the, quote, scare quote, anti-woke policies touted by Governor Ron DeSantis as critics urge the state to rethink the curriculum, claiming that it only presents half the story and half the truth. The new standard, backed unanimously by the State Board of Education, encompasses the controversial 2022 law regulating how race can be taught in Florida schools. Board members and state officials defended the updated curriculum that they say touches on the, quote, darkest parts of U.S. history against charges from opponents, including that the state's largest teachers union, that, sh- that the charges are an attempt to whitewash what students are learning. Kamala Harris, did she go to Florida? I think she may have gone in person to she Florida. She she gave a speech
1: about this. Um, the Times, I believe, had a story, about her redirecting, re- reconfiguring her schedule, and ordering her aides to get We've down there. Get she down wanted to Florida. seize on this We've issue. We've got to
0: get down to Florida and do it. And I am here to tell you, this is. Well, for, well, we'll talk about the facts of the case in a second. But as a matter of politics, this is what Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis could not have drawn this up better. This is a this is a godsend at a moment when he needs it, because if there's one way to unite Republicans, it is to accuse one of them of being a racist. Kamala Harris. I think Kamala Harris is the the politician Republicans hate the most. Send her down to lecture Republicans about being racist. The rally round the DeSantis effect here. I know he's holding a press conference, maybe even today, but he should be leading way into this. I want to credit Charlie Cook at National Review and this piece from the Washington Examiner that went to the trouble of pulling out the curriculum and talking about what was in it. And the Examiner editorial includes some other references to this because the, the allegation against DeSantis that it tells half the story and that it whitewashes the history of slavery. So here's something from the Library of Congress. It is important to remember, however, that while some enslaved people worked on large cotton plantations, other, others worked in types of agriculture, including tobacco, hemp, corn, and livestock in southern cities. Many worked at a variety of skilled trades as well as common laborers. It was not unusual for those working in the cities to put away enough money to buy their freedom. Similar lines the examiner quotes from the National Park Service and from the National Humanities Center. The barking pack. I've got no brief for DeSantis, but the barking pack that ran after this story and treated it as just obviously true, that this was bad, was the laziest kind of reporting and the that very pack mentality you were talking about.
1: If you go and look at the actual standards, yeah. it so quickly dispels the notion that this is an attempt to whitewash slavery. and. I do think this is a testament to Kamala's terrible political skills because this is a terrible issue for her to go and try to campaign on.
0: Well, unless what it does is help validate the Democratic ticket in the minds of activists. I don't know. There may be some internal. But, yes, you're absolutely right that she is bad at the work. She was bad at it when she accused Joe Biden of being racist for uh, being opposed to uh, busing of school children. She is not good at this, and the, it's it's this is a real Lulu. Oh, speaking of racism and Republicans, I wanted to include this. This, as you would say, this this is one of mine. This is, <laughs> yes, and, and this is yes. actually one of mine. Like
1: very clear ownership of items.
0: I want I want to I want to take ownership of this because this piece was such hot garbage in Politico. And I was on vacation when this came across and I had to Oh,
1: this was terrible. I'm I'm co-owner.
0: I, I had to I had to send it in because it was particularly sloppy, cruel. So this the story is it's it's so dumb I hate to even bring attention to it. But a political consultant, closely tied to the effort to elect Tim Scott, who I don't know whether you know this, is a black guy, repeatedly used the N word while he was playing a card game with friends, a video obtained by politico shows. Anton Castaneda is the main advisor to Opportunity Matters Fund, a super PAC that is doing work in early primary sp- states to support Scott's campaign. His firm has gotten paid a lot of money, blah, 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 blah. He's worked for other people, including Will Hurd, or his firm has. The undated video. When was the video, when was the video recorded? I don't know. It's undated. He's smiling and speaking in rapid fire as he boasts jokingly, as as he boasts and jokingly insults his friends, using the N word, this, that, and the other thing. Here is the very important paragraph: the 36-second video was provided by an operative working to elect a rival candidate. The person anonymous. Oh yeah. Well, obviously, we can't know. The person shared it on the condition of not being identified. It's unknown when and where the video was filmed. The friends of Castaneda in the clip could not be identified. Come on. You are you don't know when he said this. I don't know what his ethnicity is. I don't know what the ethnicity There could have been other, there could have been black guys in the room, African-American men or women in the room laughing at him as he did it. The context would be extraordinarily important here. We don't know any of it. This is the kind of cheap opposition research dumping. I'm all for oppo. You got some good oppo you want to send my way, send it my way. If it's a real story, I'm glad to have it, and I will get it out there. If it's a real story and it's good, this is this is below the bottom of the barrel.
1: Chris, we also had an epic fact check from truly, The Washington Post. Truly, Fact checker.
0: Superb. Glenn
1: Kessler. Headline, Tuberville's tales about his father in World War II have false elements.
0: Now, Tommy Tuberville... Coach, as he is now, maybe he and Maisie Hirono are neck and neck, maybe for most intellectually stultifying members of the United States Senate. It's a real it's it's a it's a race to the bottom. And Tommy Tuberville has been engaged in a long struggle with the Department of Defense because he is blockading promotions for flag officers or for. I don't. I don't want to get my. I
1: think it's, it's all military promotion. I think isn't it's it?
0: just one stars. I think it's generals and equivalent. Is it? I think okay. I've, we have two interns in here today. I'm getting a shake of the head. Maybe something. I don't know, but he's being a big pain.
1: Generals in, and admirals.
0: So he's being a big or whatever the space force has. He's being a big pain in the patootie, and he's doing it over a Pentagon policy that that compensates service members. Who have to go out of state to obtain abortions because the state where they're stationed does not have access to elective abortions, and I don't want to blah blah blah. But this is this is the back, the backstory about why Tommy Tuberville is in the news constantly today, and he's been doing a little bit of a media tour. So he went out in his media tour, and he, in order to say, because Alabama is a big military state, both as veterans, but there are also military installations in Alabama, and I'm sure that he does very much not want to be identified as being anti-military. So he's been on a charm offensive. And part of his charm offensive is to talk about, obviously, I love the military. My father fought to liberate Europe. My father, Charles Tuberville, made the D-Day landing at Normandy as a tank commander with the 101st Infantry. He served with honor during World War II, earning five bronze stars and a purple heart and on and on and on. So the Washington Post, when I saw the headline Tuberville's tales about his father in World War II have false elements. I thought, "Oh man, is he lying about his dad?" And then I felt immediately bad. You get
1: you've stolen valor, right?
0: Yeah, well, and I felt immediately bad because I thought maybe Tommy Tuberville's dad lied, exaggerated to his family, and then his family. I mean, my sisters believed that my dad went to elementary school with Abraham Lincoln. They they argued with their fourth grade teacher. So I thought, oh, maybe this situation, his dad exaggerated these things and he believed him and now the Washington Post is going to reveal it to be not true. When I tell you this is a giant pile of horse pucky and an enormous waste of effort, there's a lot of ways in which it was a waste of time. But this paragraph that says that it was false that he won five bronze stars, the photo snippet confirmed Tuberville earned not bronze stars. But rather bronze service stars, which denote that a soldier was physically present during a particularly particular military campaign or engagement. Campaign service stars, unlike the bronze star, are not individual medals and do not indicate valor in combat. Blah 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 blah. Seriously, again, Glenn Kessler, you took Tommy. The, you can like or dislike whatever Tommy Tuberville is saying, but it is very clear from the Washington Post own reporting that Tommy Tuberville's dad served valorously uh, in the liberation of France, served valorously in the Battle of the Bulge, did all that stuff. Maybe take a pass on this one. Maybe take a pass. This, on this
1: reminded one. me so much of the April 23rd, 2021 Glenn Kessler, Glenn Kessler fact check. Tim Scott often talks about his grandfather in cotton. There's more to that, Tim. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And So Tim Scott saying, my grandfather suffered the indignity of being forced out of school as a third grader to pick cotton and never learned to read or write. Our family went from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. And he digs into the origin stories of politicians, just like he's doing with Tuberville. And And it says, but Scott has acknowledged that his great-grandfather, Lawrence Ware, once owned 900 acres in South Carolina. Census records are released 72 years after they're collected. So we dug into South Carolina census records that were available. 1890 census records were lost in a fire to close this gap in Scott's narrative. Our research revealed a more complex story. His grandfather was a substantial landowner. And some enterprising black families purchased property as a way to avoid sharecropping and achieved a measure of independence from white dominated society. So, you know, I,
0: I'm looking through. He owned land. So, Ke- Kessler is can be very good and can do a good job, but I'm just, mm. I'm, I, he can. Uh, I'm, I'm scrolling through his works and every single one of them is truth is either truth squatting a Republican or defending a Democrat. And I'm rolling back to, well, I I get back to May and there's one that may be a little dubious, but uh, it is you have to, you have to, he, the Washington Post fact checker has hit Biden a few times for Biden's many dishonesties. Um, But when you see stuff like chasing Tom, nobody, Tommy Tuberville does not strike anybody As a person who I want to say this, I want to say this for my friends in Alabama in a gentle way. I don't think anybody says that Tommy Tuberville, he knows everything he's talking about. He is. That's a lead pipe for Tommy Tuberville to be at least this close talking about his own father. Leave it alone. Jeez Louise.
1: And the piece about Tim Scott had real, you know. African Americans acquired important skills during slavery. Ooh, uh, problems, problematic,
0: <laughs> problematic, problematic,
1: problematic. Uh, okay.
0: This is a, now. This is a your item. This is a favorite item of yours. It's not your it, favorite item. It,
1: but, it actually came from you.
0: But it. But I. I plucked it knowing yes. that it would delight you.
1: So the New York Times had a, you know, the Wall Street Journal. In their best of the web today, they used to have bottom headlines of the day. Right. This would have been a bottom headline of the day. It was study of elite college admissions data suggests being very rich is its own qualification. Are
0: you suggesting that very wealthy children get into better colleges?
1: And then they go into it for applicants with the same SAT or ACT score. Children from families in the top 1% were 34% more likely to be admitted than the average applicant and those from the top 0.1% were more than twice as likely to get in. The new data showed that other selective private colleges like Northwestern, NYU, and Notre Dame had a similarly disproportionate share of children from rich families. The one gaping thing that this left out was they did not track whose parents gave money to the schools. Sure. I mean, come on!
0: And the, the, what, the, and other... Can you
1: buy your admission?
0: Other reporting on this report, reporting on this report has done a much better job. And in this case, I think the Washington Post did a better job. But the focus here from the New York Times on affirmative action for the rich, do you know who else gets in at a disproportionately high rate? The poorest applicants. So they have affirmative action or they have preferential treatment for the very poor and they have preferential treatment for the very rich. Who takes a beating in a system like that? Middle class people, right? People like you. Who, when you got into an elite school, what that tells us is the way that the game is arranged.
1: I don't like, know if you really know where I came from, Chris.
0: You could be. We, 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 did you take a private jet to New Haven? <laughs> <laughs>
1: did
0: you did you fly in on a Actually, PJ and your we, da- and your dad wheeled off suitcases full of money?
1: My dad refused to come with me. <laughs> I, I had never had never been there when went. Well, no, he would have come, but but we had the funniest experience. I, we'd never been there and I was with my mom and for some reason we were at this holiday inn that I don't even know still exists and there in was, New Haven in New Haven Rough. and there was a mo- some kind of motorcycle convention there were all these bikers like pulling their coolers into the holiday Inn and we were like what is I this is so to strange the, yes it was very funny
0: uh, yes so this this was in a you don't say category. Having super wealthy parents makes it easier to get into a Yeah, the the top
1: 0.1%.
0: That's who who would have thunk it? Who would have thunk it?
1: Chris, it's time for the Climate Files.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, Do you feel the crisis coming?
1: I loved this story from the New York Times about the headline was, In Florida, Swimmers Brave an Ocean that Feels Like Steamy Syrup.
0: Sign me up. And...
1: The only people who appeared to be bothered by this phenomenon were the reporters. So they went out there, and they write that the water temperature near Key Biscayne had already passed 89 degrees one morning Ooh, this week. That is hot. And though the ocean off South Florida was slightly cooler than the recent record highs. It remained phenomenally hot. And, and the beachgoers tell the reporter... I like it warm, shrugged Nikki Candela, 20, a Miami native, moments after a powerful siren warned of approaching lightning. Few of the heat-dazed people on the largely empty beach paid it any mind. And another one tells the reporter, this is my idea of paradise.
0: But don't you know that the Gulf Stream is just years away from collapsing?
1: It was amazing.
0: All right. But this one, I got to say, is pure madness the next this next item and I think this may have been from Colin I don't know but this is pure madness five ways to sleep better during a heat wave without blasting the AC now I'm here to tell you if I could air condition if I could have a separate air conditioner in my under my covers I would probably do that the idea of sleeping in a warm room if it can be avoided is just untenable are you a warm sleeper or oh a,
1: I want it to be like the okay. Arctic.
0: Okay. Let's be let's be honest here. But here's what they recommend. Keep your space cool, which I always do. Keep with it, the
1: AC. Keep
0: your blinds or shades closed during the day. Increase airflow. If you don't want to or can't open your windows, leave your bedroom door open. That way you profit a little bit from the cooler air in the rest of the house. Practice good sleep habits. On hot nights when it might be difficult to achieve the ideal temperature for sleeping. Experts recommend focusing on doing other things to promote sleep such as creating a dark and quiet environment, preparing for bed by unplugging from screens and winding. So, what they want you to do is sit in a hot, dark room and lay there until Morpheus finally comes to release you from your misery. I I'm not I'm not here for it. I am not here for that.
1: I like it's so cold. Yeah. And I sleep.
0: I'm, I'm this is this isn't to say that people don't have legitimate concerns about these things and all of that stuff, but Let people have the air conditioning when they sleep. It's really, really hot, and it's gross, and I don't want people to be cranky from not getting enough sleep.
1: All right, you're up with this beer thing. Well,
0: this is definitely one. Mm -hmm. This is one of the boys on this one. I don't know. Yeah, okay, that's Nate Moore. Would you drink wastewater? No. What if it was beer? Still no. This is One Water Brew, the product of a partnership between a wastewater. And does that mean, like, sewer water, like Human Waste. Cool. Partnership between a wastewater technology startup and a Bay Area craft brewery is made with treated shower and laundry water collected from a luxury high-rise apartment building in San Francisco. And it's not the only beer of its kind. As water sources, particularly in the Western United States, dry up from overuse, drought, and climate change, supporters of direct potable reuse... The use of treated wastewater in the drinking supply are pitching in as part of the solution. Increasingly, they are turning to beer as a way of getting people beyond the ick factor that has been a hurdle to broader acceptance. If people are reluctant to drink recycled wastewater, the thinking goes, perhaps they could be enticed if it were served in the foam of a frosty cold one. Are you in?
1: I'm not enticed.
0: You're not in? Of course, given what the terrible beers that are being very often consumed and served in this great nation of ours I guess one that tastes like lavender shower water maybe wouldn't be so bad. I wanted to call attention to this profile by Karen Heller in The Washington Post of Interior Secretary Deb Haaland, and the headline was enough for me to include it. And I'm going to write this headline about you. But I'll write a piece about you, and I'll say the same thing of you. It is it is Interior, Ooh, Secre- I can't wait. Interior Secretary Deb Haaland's charged mission of healing. She's on a mission of healing, and it's charged. Take it from the Washington Post. The first native person to serve as cabinet secretary, she leads a department that once oversaw the removal of indigenous people from their land. And you're like, well, this must be, you know, this is going to be this journey. But you know what you hear a lot about? As a member of the Green New Deal who pledged not to take money from fossil fuel companies, how does Helen reconcile her beliefs working for a more moderate president? How does she reconcile those positions? With how the- does she... How does she do it? How does she do it? Well, you'll be surprised that in this very flattering profile, it is revealed that she does. She did do it. She, <laughs> she managed her charged yeah. her charged mission of healing. She, uh, spoiler alert, she succeeded.
1: We debated whether to discuss the story, yes. and we decided to do so.
0: We 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 think um, that you're mature this, enough, this listeners. Four
1: thousand word, error riddled variety story about the battle for CNN. The headline is, Inside the Battle for CNN, Jeff Zucker, David Zaslav, Chris Licht, and 18 Months of Crazy Backstabbing. And do, 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 do. Um, I wanted to pull up because I took screenshots of this, of some of the ridiculous parts.
0: The, the premise of the piece is that Zucker is trying to
1: That he's been trying to buy it. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in here that I believe to be false. Yes. However, I thought the piece was interesting in that it contains a lot of information that it is my understanding Chris Licht, the also former CEO of CNN, has been trying to get out there. And I took a screenshot of... I want to pull it up, of a part that jumped out at me as, you know, things that I would heard, these are things he wants out there. My understanding was that Licht did want it to be known that Zucker was going around floating this and that he felt Zucker was messing with him from the wings, but this was incredibly sloppy and poorly executed.
0: And she let Licht go after Tim Alberta, whose lengthy profile of Ligt was part of his undoing and Alberta co- has confronted her on Twitter or X Twitter or doesn't it seem dirty. Well the new name of Twitter just as an aside do you find this to seem what dirty what's the new boring? name of Twitter now it's called X you're really you I don't
1: care about Twitter at you're, all, so. you're
0: you're not kidding when you say no, I that, you don't d- care. that you're not engaged on Twitter I like that but anyway he said on Twitter he rebuts her points. Many people have come. And Alberta is a very, a scrupulous reporter who, with a really good track record. So my takeaway on this. All right. Yeah, yeah.
1: It is a very long story, but I thought it was interesting in that I think this is much of what of Chris Lick's ba- pushback yes. to the narrative about Chris Lick. And it was sloppily executed as... Much of what Lick has done has been sloppily executed. Hamfit. But if you want to know, there are these dueling narratives, like the Zucker narrative, which was put out much through Puck, and that comes through in this piece. Dylan Byers was clearly talking to a lot of people at CNN or Disgruntles, talking to Jeff Zucker a lot. This woman clearly talked to Camp Lick and got their story, and so I think a lot of his Lick's frustrations are represented in this piece. And for those who are interested in that, it's like a good case study and how these sorts of dark arts are that's right play out and
0: i anon- and, and sloppy and what what anonymous sourcing can what, what what would we say promiscuous anonymity in stories where it can take you on the facts do you like country music
1: i love country music and i have actually been following this stuff like the tracy chapman loose luke combs thing which we have down below is so ridiculous. Well, and, give
0: them, the, give them, right. the, give them the, the, the the premise, the national story, the big national story has been what?
1: Luke Combs. Record- no, 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 no,
0: the Try That in a Small Town. So the, the, the whole country has been, or you would think, in an uproar over whether or not the song Try That in a Small Town is racist.
1: Because there are clips of the Black Lives Matter protests in the music and video. And they shot
0: it in front of a courthouse that was the scene of a lynching and to be and to be fair, Jason Aldean's song is what? Did, do you remember what's his name? Toby Keith, will put a boot in your ass. It's yeah, the American great song. way. Okay, this it was
1: right after nine eleven. This
0: song is not even as good as that bad song.
1: Well, fast car is good.
0: Okay, but we're gonna get there. I was just I'm just putting this first one in so there's something in the water around country music is racist. Country music is bad. But Luke Combs. Has a beautiful song. He did a beautiful thing, which is he covered Tracy Chapman's Fast Car, which is a great song. Have you heard his cover? Yes. It's really good. You got a fast car, and I want a ticket to anywhere. Maybe we make a deal. Maybe together we can get somewhere. Any place is better. Down from zero, got nothing to lose. Maybe we'll make so it's a beautiful song. It's a, When Tracy Chapman wrote it, I loved it when it came Same. out. Same. It was great. And L- she
1: likes the cover. And
0: She likes the cover. Well, maybe it's problematic, though. Maybe that's problematical. The Washington Post offers some concerns about what's going on here. Emily Yar, writing in the pop culture section, says to quite a few people, this is cause for yet another celebration in Combs' whirlwind journey as the genre's reigning megastar with 16 consecutive number one hits. But it has also prompted a wave of complicated feelings among some listeners and in the Nashville music community. Although many are thrilled to see Fast Car back in the spotlight and a new generation discovering Chapman's work, it's clouded by the fact that as a black queer woman, Chapman 59 would, all, would have almost zero chance of that achievement herself in country music. The numbers are bleak. A recent study by data journalist Jan Deem and musicologist Jada Watson reported that fewer than half a percent of songs played on country radio in 2022 were of women in color and LGBTQ plus artists. On it goes. Are you do you feel guilty for enjoying Luke Combs's fast car, knowing that you're helping to marginalize Tracy Chapman? Who never could have done this herself?
1: I am so happy. It's that Tracy Chapman was a hit. I'm so happy Luke Combs is reviving her, and I'm so happy. I, I was most happy that Tracy Chapman is happy about this. Yeah, and, and she she isn't like aggrieved.
0: Yeah, and it's great for her song, and it's great. It's, it's a great song. And it do, is you kn- do you know such a great song? Do you know what I did not see anywhere in this article? And if I missed it, I apologize. Was Little Nas X? I did not see one mention of Little Nas X. Who had I have the, no
1: idea who that is.
0: You'd have never heard of no. Old Town Road. I don't believe you. I
1: Mm-mm.
0: I don't believe you. I don't
1: know anything about pop culture.
0: No, this was a country song. He recorded it with Billy Ray Cyrus. We're going to take my horse down the Old Town Road. Nothing. This is a- amazing. Amazing. I would I would say...
1: Colin's laughing so hard.
0: I would say play a clip of it, but I don't want to put it in people's... I, I, I don't want to put it in people's ears because you. it's such a catchy song. Little Nas X with Billy Ray Cyrus dominated the country music charts for like two years. Yeah, he was just, he just crushed it forever. And he is not white. And I believe he is, yeah, he is a part of the LGBT. apologies to Andrew Sullivan, part of the LGBTQIA++ community. None of that was mentioned in there. And this just was another piece that was telling you not to enjoy what you like. You like swimming in the ocean? Well, it's probably bad. You like listening to Luke Combs sing fast car. Well, it's probably bad. Probably you're a bad person and you should probably feel bad. You want to feel good about having the air conditioning on at night and sleeping peacefully in the summer. Well, you should probably feel bad about that too. And this sort of killjoy, this sort of Elmer Gantryism is it's too much. Barbie. It's time
1: for it's our time? Oh, that we're at our style section. It's
0: time for Barbie.
1: I have to say the following.
0: Say anything you want.
1: I wish that I had anything to say about Barbie, but I'm really just excited to see Oppenheimer. Are you really? Uh, yeah, I, I don't care about it. I feel Barbie.
0: like it's probably long. Is it good? I don't know.
1: I don't care about Barbie. Seems
0: long. Seems like I'm not going to, seems like Daddy Rat's not going to make it through three hours in the theater. Seems like I'll be snoozing. Like one time, my son, we, my youngest man-child, we were going to see one of the Star Wars movies, and he said, Dad, don't fall asleep right away. The beginning's really good. But we are in the comfortable chairs over at, at Fairlington, the Sherlington. I wasn't going to stay awake. Anyway, <clears throat> Caitlin Flanagan, who I nominate to be the patron saint of this segment, said on Twitter that the New York Times has posted at least three new Barbie articles in the last six hours. This is service journalism at its finest. Life has changed irrevocably. Since the premiere and the times has met the moment Pulitzer and the amount of Barbie coverage has been, and I, I understand because there are so few massive pop culture moments that, that transcend different demographic groups that you can get people to pay attention to for more than five minutes. I understand, but holy cannoli. Here's the Atlantic headline. What's the matter with Barbie? Yeesh. Let's say, Remove stereotypical Barbie from Barbie land and plonk her into Los Angeles. And she's just another woman struggling to find meaning in a world that's inherently hostile to her very presence. Is that your experience that the world is inherent because you're a woman that the world is inherently hostile to your very presence? Maybe. I, don't, I mean, I don't want to be insensitive here if, the, if, if, if there's something that I'm missing. But this This is
1: why I just can't. I just can't hold this coverage. Can't hold my attention.
0: Well, here's Jessica Bennett from for the New York Times. I saw Barbie with Susan (laughs) Faludi, which is just a fun day, and she has a theory about it. "Quote: We see the Kens band together in a kind of hunky beach army, trying to occupy Barbie Land, with Ken adopting a mink fur cape that did not not resemble the one worn by the QAnon shaman." during the January 6th uprising. And then there's Midge, the doll once marketed as Barbie's best friend and the one pregnant doll in the Barbie universe before she was discontinued. Midge and her bumper in the film, too, repeatedly a ghost that the fictional Mattel executives and everyone else just wish would go away. She's there for laughs. But squint hard enough, Miss Faludi continued, and you could also see her as, quote, the specter of Dobbs. Have we ever thought that it is a blockbuster movie meant... Have I ever shared with you my theory of the pumpkin spice latte? No. Starbucks does not care whether you enjoy the pumpkin spice latte, ironically, or if you're a basic bee who loves it sincerely and enjoys it. As long as you are buying pumpkin spice lattes, it doesn't matter. And the good people at Mattel and the people at whatever studio and Greta Gerwig don't care whether you go to the Barbie movie and love it because you love Barbie. Or if you go at, go with Susan Faludi and then talk about how the, the ghost of Dobbs and how Ken is really the QAnon shaman. They don't care as long as you buy the ticket and then go buy the doll.
1: You know what I do care about, though? What do you care about? Is Allbirds. Okay. And our next item is how all birds lost its way. Quality complaints and intractable holes have dogged the hot shoe company which rolled out an assortment of new products but found environment environmental sustainability a tough sell. Yeah, it's just like the New York Times reporters who were on the beach asking people how horrible it was and that was a tough sell. No, I think how Allbirds lost its way is that they're ugly. Yeah, they're very ugly. That is how it lost its way. So... This article was funny. It's talking about the founders. For Zwillinger and Brown, who were millionaires many times over on paper, it, so it makes sense they, they have an environmentalist shoe company because that's what millionaires are interested in. When Allbirds went public but didn't sell stock in the offering, it's been a humbling experience. Zwillinger has a saying, customers will accept one degree of weirdness but not two. Iterations of existing styles are preferred over brands pushing too far into new categories. He said in an, in an interview that shoppers who came to Allbirds for its original shoes, weren't ready to buy technical gear, such as running shoes or workout clothes from the brand. Allbirds said it isn't changing its commitment to sustainability, even though it doesn't always drive shoppers to buy its products. All right. What about making a cute shoe?
0: My eldest man child, I don't know whether I'm selling them out here, but is a a longtime Allbirds devotee. And I think they just look like structureless. They're so ugly. Yeah, they just look like tribbles. I don't I don't understand, but there's a lot about shoes I don't understand as a person who is wearing penny loafers. There's obviously a lot about modern shoes that I don't understand.
1: What was our next pickleball? Oh, right.
0: Colin, I think Colin, was this a cry for help when you put this on the list? Is this are you do you need help making friends? Is that why you put this in there? This is a piece and it's not all wrong. Michelle Cottle, is the cure for male loneliness on the pickleball court. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, there is a growing understanding on the American left and in newsrooms about the problem that men in America are experiencing and all of this stuff. But here's a very patronizing way to do that. And the patronizing way that Michelle Cottle suggests is basically that America's wives make their husbands take up pickleball or other hobbies so that they can go outside and play with their friends and it is infantili- it infantilizes the husband and makes him somebody who is in need of remediation and that his wife needs to make him go play with his friends so that he will be less sad and lonesome and i appreciate that she wants to help i enough with, but also just as another aside enough with the pickleball
1: and they're lonely because they're wearing allbirds
0: That is true. If they would just get some better looking shoes, then they'd meet some chicks.
1: Chris, that brings us to our obsessions of the week. Where we break down the stories we can't get out of our heads. And I loved this story from insiders Matthias uh, Schwartz, who broke the news about who actually bought Hunter Biden's art. I know. And the headline was exclusive. Hunter Biden's gallery sold art to Democratic donor friend whom Joe Biden... I have to disable my ad blocker here. Whom Joe Biden named to a prestigious commission. Internal gallery documents show that sales of Biden's art brought in $1.3 million. One buyer whose identity is unknown spent $875,000 on 11 Biden artworks. Wow! All right. So... Democratic donor Elizabeth Hirsch-Naftali, a Biden commission appointee, was among the buyers, but it's not clear whether the sale or the appointment came first. I am sure the press is going to dig into this and bring us the facts. Now, the White House told us that the identity of the purchasers were not going to be known to the White House, and they weren't going to be known to Hunter.
0: In a blind it. we never know. He
1: knew about it. And I was so amused by Politico Playbook's report on this. Yes. Because, so the White House lied to them. Yes. And Hunter Biden's people lied to them. Yes. And so they write, the story reports that Hunter knew about the the purchase, which is certain to fuel Republican cries of inappropriate (laughs) Biden family behavior and raise questions about the White House's past insistence that Hunter's art buyers were walled off from his father. I mean, guys, they lied to you. Right. Do have, you all have questions?
0: Have some dignity.
1: Do you all have questions? Yeah.
0: Reporters it should It was pounce. amazing. Reporters should uh, pounce.
1: It was amazing.
0: I think the coming, and I don't know what, what will happen all with Hunter Biden, but I think the coming pummeling of Hunter Biden, who has been in a protected category as reporters were trying to be sensitive and probably protect the incumbent president, too, I think the coming Hunter Biden beat down from the press is going to be real and it's going to it's going to leave a mark.
1: What is your obsession?
0: My obsession is with this. This is good medicine for me. This is good instruction for me is to understand when you're talking about political coverage, the gap between what we think is happening and what's happening. AP moved a silly story. Mama bears. Maybe the 2024 races soccer moms. Uh, But where the GOP sees votes, some see extremism. It's a bad story in a bunch of different ways. Uh, One of the ways in which it's a bad story is soccer moms are a target demographic that that people were trying to persuade in previous elections. These were persuadable voters. Mama bears are Republican voters who are activated by concerns about school curricula, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It would be more like the deplorable, the people who embrace the tag deplorables who were voting for Donald Trump. These are the mama bears. They're already they're already spoken for, and this issue does animate them. But it is accepted as normal, and I accept it as normal, that the frustration of parents with COVID, school practices, and with curricular issues was part of what helped Republicans, one of the helping things for Republicans in Virginia's gubernatorial election and in the subsequent midterm elections. But then I read... Chuck Beat. And you know what Chuck Beat told me? The polling company Gallup has been asking American parents the same question since 1999. Are you satisfied with your oldest child's education? Every year through January 2020, between two-thirds and 80 percent said yes. The pandemic upended many things about American schooling, but not this long-standing trend. Gallup's most recent poll conducted late last year, 80 percent of parents said they were somewhat or completely satisfied with their child's school, which in most cases was a public school. This was actually a bit higher. But that's not the prevailing narrative that has emerged. Instead, many commentators have seized on another part of the Gallup poll. Only 42% of American adults are happy with the country's public schools. This figure has dropped several points since 2019. And they quote the New York Times. They quote others that that are looking at that fact. And it says... In reality, Gallup's poll suggests a divergence between parents' views of their children's schools versus the public's view of the nation's schools. There was a startling 30-point gap between the two, which had also hit a 20-year record. The point being, as a journalist, I have to look more closely and I have to pay attention to what's really happening and not take shorthand. and not. The, my experience is that the narrative is so hard to avoid. The narrative is so powerful That if you, the Orwell line, to see the nose on one's face requires a constant struggle, is definitely true, and this was a good reminder for me.
1: That brings us to my favorite portion of the week, and that is reader mail.
0: Oh, and this is a good one.
1: We have a note from Phil in New Jersey, and Phil writes... Eliana and Chris, thank you for taking the time and making the effort to put together such a wonderful podcast. I walk my dogs five miles every day, four million steps, 2,000 miles a year. Ugh, I'm jealous. Get it, Phil. And it is always great to fire up an ink-stained wretches episode. I've spent three decades in the media business. I launched the tabloids online. Sorry, my bad, including the National Enquirer, Star, and Weekly World never News. Never apologize
0: for the Weekly World we News. We thought it was funny never. silly
1: stuff. God knows we never thought it would become the mainstream format, headlines, story, and narrative arc. We watched the business model change, the budgets get crushed, and the attention economy overtake it. I don't mean to sound like the old guy talking about the good old days. I just hope this is a phase, partisan, confirmation bias, and just sheer drivel. Journalism needs to elevate thinking through its reporting, not act like another contestant in a reality TV show. With a story like the one below, is there actually an editor review prior to publishing? If you're sourcing, if you're sourcing your stories from TikTok, you really need to think about a new career. And the story is from the New York Post. Gen Z cries time blindness. Is being late a real medical condition? I mean.
0: And this, this, this is a McCree. This is McCreach rule. This is definitely a McCree's rule. This is took to TikTok. People took to TikTok to say, and uh, Phil, I will 100% co-sign the idea that if the source for your article is scrolling through social media and writing an article about a social media trend, uh, you are uh, a reporter who should be replaced by AI. We should just definitely have AI replace that because that's no reporting at all. Have a good (laughs) wonk.
1: Yes, yes. And that brings us to Chris, your favorite time of the week, where I am forced to say something nice, but you are going to lead us by example. Take it away.
0: We talked a couple of weeks ago about the student journalists at the Northwestern University who brought down their football coach. Well, the West Coast, the Pac-10 getting in on the action, the Stanford Daily newspaper at Stanford University. Absolutely crushed their president, Dr. Levine. Yes. Dr. Levine had some dodgy business in his own academic career, had fudged some stuff and was trying to bluff past it. And the reporters at this newspaper blew him up. He lost his job. He this has real Scooby-Doo energy to me where they unmask the guy at the end. And he says, I'd have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you nosy kids.
1: Chris, my favorite. Oh, and we should say that the student journalist behind these stories was none other than Theo Baker, who is the son of Washington heavyweight uh, journalist Peter Baker of The New York Times and Susan Glasser of The New Yorker. That does and not surprise yes, me to hear. So he is destined don't for mess with, journalistic yeah, great, don't greatness. Don't mess with Theo.
0: Okay. Yes. I love like um,
1: it. Pulitzer and his future. My favorite item was from the Wall Street Journal headline. Deadly school fire casts light on sexual exploitation in Guyana, Mining Town. And the journal, it's a big report with amazing pictures in it. And the journal reports the deaths of 19 girls aged 12 to 17, as well as the five-year-old son of a dorm caretaker, spotlight the continuing challenges of education and child protection. In hamlets near the informal mines that pockmark the country's rugged hinterland, said the United Nations officials and youth advocacy groups, gold made up about 9% of Guyana's economic output in 2021, and businessmen from the mining sector have long been major political contributors, according to former and current government officials. It's real reporting.
0: It's really well reported, and it speaks to how great it is that the journal continues to make a priority out of Covering South America, having top tier coverage. This is this this is there's a lot of cheaply sentimental, heart wringing kind of look at these poor people journalism that goes on. This is really good. This is really well done. And and I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, and I'm sorry, Kijal Vyas, I think is the how it's pronounced, took their own photographs. It's really, really good.
1: And that is all the time we have left. For the news about the news, if you have a story that you want us to talk about, email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com and sign up for our newsletter at nebulouspodcasts.com. Do that. And don't forget to leave a five-star review
0: Heck yeah, on sex. Apple
1: or wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Ink Stained Wretches for Nebulous Media, produced by Colin Chicola Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Wretches.